Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zhou and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. Today's message is brought to us by Brian Dye, who is the executive director at Legacy Disciple. He is preaching from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Thank you, Pastor Abe. Uh, it's good to be here with you, Church of the Beloved. Um, as Pastor Abe said, I recently, thir- as of Thursday night, uh, lost my brother who spent five weeks in the ICU uh, from COVID complications. Um, and uh, we just had a memorial service yesterday. And so if my mind is all over the place, please forgive me ahead of time. Um, but it was truly an encouragement. My brother was 32 years old, uh, just a month shy of his 33rd birthday. And uh, testimony after testimony, as uh, I was in the hospital Thursday night, as, as we knew his time was approaching uh, the, his last hour, um, a cold blue was called. I believe that's what it's called when, when the heart fails and they had to resuscitate him. And... Uh, Every nurse on the floor rushed to his room, every nurse, and, and about a dozen. And now I'm, I'm confused why so many people are needed uh, to, to try to revive one person when there's so many patients on the floor who need attention and help. And, uh, but, but afterwards, I had three different nurses come up to me, and uh, one was a nurse for 30 years, one was 40 years, and, and they all said that they've never experienced a patient like my brother. Um, his joy was so evident. His faith was boldly proclaimed. Um, so he said when, when he needed help, they, they all rushed to the room. And um, so I'm honored to be the bigger brother <laughs> out of all my accomplishments in life, uh, to be the bigger brother of Caleb Dye, um, a man who lived a short life but a very impactful life uh, for Jesus Christ. It is good, again, uh, to be here. Uh, you guys have been in my prayer uh, for the last few years um, as I've known people in, in, uh, in this church, have interacted with you, have, have seen your faith and your witness uh, of Jesus uh, to the nations here in Chicago and beyond. Uh, so thank you for your faithfulness um, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all know the story of Israel. Uh, Israel was in captivity in, in Egypt, and God delivered them through the prophet Moses. Forty years they would wander the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Moses had passed. The baton had been uh, passed on to, to Joshua and Joshua is getting ready to lead his people, and, and yet the first city they come in contact with is this very fortified city, Jericho. Jericho with its mighty walls. And Joshua sends in two spies to go check out the land, to, to go uh, learn how they could conquer it. And these two spies choose to come to a house of, of a woman named Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the town, and so I guess they figured she must know all the powerful men and must know all the powerful secrets. The king finds out about this, and he sends his soldiers, and Rahab says that they had left already, but obviously she was hiding them on the roof. 
And as she gives them instructions of how to escape uh, right before they leave, she says, I, I, we know about your God. We know he is powerful. We know he is part of the Red Sea. Uh, we know that this land is yours. Do me a favor. When you come, please have mercy upon me and my family. And they tell her to take a scarlet string and, and hang it out her window. And so she does that, and uh, when they return, the soldiers return, and they march around that mighty city one time per day for six days, and on the seventh day, seven times. And as they blow that horn, the walls come tumbling down, every part of the wall except the part where Rahab lived. Rahab's life and that of her family was spared because she knew the God of Israel. She worshipped the God of Israel. 1,500 years later, her descendant, by the name of Jesus, born through her lineage, would walk through Jericho. And he would see the greatest of all sinners according to that community. And he would bring salvation to this individual because that is the way that God works. God brings salvation to those who need it most desperately, not to those who have figured out their own way. And this passage begins, has been read already. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. We have to remember at this time, Jericho is a city filled with the people of God, people who went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, people who read the scriptures and heard the scriptures read to them, people who abided by the laws that they were given. And one of these laws was that they would have no other idol, no other God. It was a problem because Roman currency had the image of Caesar, who was considered to be the king of kings and the lord of lords at the time, the mightiest ruler. And so Jews were in this dilemma. We, we can't touch this, this currency because it has an inscription of a, of a supposed god to it. But we, we, need to, we need to live. We need to survive and so obviously they had Jewish currency as well, but Jewish currency was nothing if it wasn't connected with Roman currency, the currency of the empire. So what would they do? Well, what they decided to do is, you know what? The vast majority of us will remain clean. But let's hire people amongst us to be the chief tax collectors. Let's hire people amongst us to do the trading between Jewish currency and Roman currency. Matthew, one of the disciples that Jesus chose, was one of these men, and so is Zacchaeus in this passage. That Zacchaeus would become rich, but it would come with a cost. It would come with a cost of being accepted in society. It would come at a cost of not being able to be, to be touched by anyone in his family. It will come at a cost of, of him being an outcast in the society amongst his friends, former friends, amongst his former family. 
he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Is it worth being wealthy at the cost of losing everything else that matters? And he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Here's this man who had been alone for quite some time. We don't know if it's been years or decades. We don't know how old he is, whether he was in his 20s or in his 60s. But he had heard about this man, this man who interacted with lepers, this man who talked with prostitutes, this man who raised the dead. And he wanted to know for himself, is this man whom people say he is? Is he one who cares about the least of us, the outcast of our society? Because he knew by this time that his wealth wasn't enough for him. And if you grew up in the church, as I did, and you went to children's church, you sang this song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up the sycamore tree to what? For the Lord he wanted to see. And I always thought this was weird. I mean, the short little man, I just pictured this midget, you know, running with his little feet, his little legs, running ahead. But as, as I got older, I started to think, but it says he ran ahead of the crowd. Even a midget in the front of a crowd does not have their view obstructed. So why would he, if he ran ahead of the crowd, need to climb up a sycamore tree? Could it be that when the Bible says he was small in stature is not a reference to his physical stature, but his social stature, how others in the community viewed him, that he was insignificant, that he was small? I've started leaning towards that interpretation of this, but Either way, he, he runs ahead and he climbs up the sycamore tree to see Jesus because he knows that when he gets there, he can't be around the crowd. The crowd will push him away. The crowd will return him back to his outcast stature. So climbing up the tree, he, he's able to, to remain isolated as he has been for possibly years or even decades at this time. In verse 5, when Jesus comes to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, out of all the crowd, out of the at least hundreds if not thousands of people that were gathering to see Jesus, he sees one man. He sees someone small in stature. He sees someone who's insignificant. Up in a tree, all isolated and alone by himself. And he calls him by name. I could imagine the last time Zacchaeus heard his name called out. He had heard, hey, sinner, a tax collector, a you. 
But Jesus calls him by name. He gives him identity. And his name in the Hebrew language means pure. What Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you may seem impure. You may feel impure. You may feel outcast from all society. But you are pure. He's speaking identity into his life. He gives him a name. And then he invites him to hurry and come down. What, what is he say, it's saying there? What is he doing there? He's given him belonging. He's given him a, a place to, to be accepted. He says, no, no one has called you close to them in a long time, Zacchaeus, but, but I want you to come down from that tree. I want to give you a place of belonging. I want to give you a place of acceptance. Not only does Jesus give him identity, but he gives him belonging. But then also he gives him purpose. For I must stay at your house today. That could seem kind of calloused. Could seem kind of like uh, you're overstepping your reach, Jesus, by demanding that Zacchaeus practice hospitality with you. But remember, Zacchaeus, again, hadn't been invited to anyone's house, and no one has come and paid him a visit in a long, long time. His family have forsaken him. His loved ones have forsaken him. Everyone in this society who claimed to love God forsook him. And Jesus gives him a purpose once again. Yes, Zacchaeus, you are wealthy, but there's an intentionality in your wealth. Invite me into your house. Practice hospitality with me. Feed me. Have a conversation with me. As we know, our blessings are not simply for ourselves and God's kingdom, but our blessings are for others. So Jesus gives him identity, he gives him belonging, he gives him purpose. So obviously we see the response of Zacchaeus, this man. It says he hurried down and came down and he received him joyfully. That is the result of someone who Jesus pursues, someone whom Jesus invites into his presence. Zacchaeus does it with urgency. He does it with speed. He does it with complete joy. Who else loves him like Jesus loves him? Who else can give him identity like Jesus can give him identity? It's not in his bank account. It wasn't in the big home that he had. It wasn't in all of his belongings. That was futile. And when they saw it, when the crowd sees in verse 7, you would think they would get excited. Yes, Jesus, you love the least of us. But they don't. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was sinner. You could almost hear them say, Jesus, you must not be the Messiah that we thought you might be because you would know who this man is. You would know that this man is unclean. You would know that this man touches unclean coins and currency. You would know that this man is an outcast and this man doesn't come to the synagogue. 
This man doesn't come to the feast. I, I, I come to the synagogue every Sabbath. I have memorized all the Torah. I have given my tithe to the temple. I have been faithful to my spouse. Jesus, come to my house, for I am deserving of it as opposed to Zacchaeus. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. When Jesus comes to our house, our lives are forever transformed. Those things that we held on to so dearly are seen as so insignificant to us. Jesus doesn't tell him, Zacchaeus, give half of your goods to the poor. This is the natural flow of someone who receives scandalous grace, that they become scandalously graceful. And he knows that there's people who are in poverty all around him, and people have walked past, including himself, these individuals in need. Jesus even tells the story of a person who's walking alongside the Jericho Road, close to this point, a man who was robbed and left for dead. Two religious people walk past. They probably had every well-intentioned thought of why they couldn't stop. We have to get to the synagogue. We have to get to our place of employment. My schedule is too full right now to stop. Yeah, one man does. One man does, a Samaritan who was not fully committed to the word of God. Samaritans chose, selected certain passages that they would follow of, of the scriptures. They didn't participate in the temple worship. They thought that the temple should be on the mountain. And yet this, this person who was not a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ or, or of Yahweh, he stops and serves this man. And it's, it's sad when the church is not the one who's stepping up and serving the needs of our city, of our neighbors. We live in a city that is broken, as we know. We live in a city that is plagued with violence. There's high unemployment in certain communities. There's low home ownership in certain communities. So Zacchaeus, being someone who was rich, He realizes, I could do something about this. Now, did all the poverty go away in Jericho because of Zacchaeus' generosity? I don't believe so. Did all the crime stop because of Zacchaeus' generosity? I doubt it. 
where all the homes, broken homes restored because of Zacchaeus' generosity, I doubt it. But whatever was in his hands, he was willing to use for his neighbor. Because again, that is what the generosity that we receive produces in us. A heart of generosity. Not only half of his goods he gives to the poor, but he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, that I would make restitution with whoever I have wronged on top. And Jesus said to him, today, today, not after you clean up your life, Zacchaeus, not after you prove yourself to me, not after you prove yourself to the community, but today salvation has come to this house. We understand that Jesus, his name in Hebrew means God is salvation. We could, almost a double meaning here. Today, Jesus has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. For there's salvation in no other name but that of Jesus. Again, our wealth can't save us. Our family can't save us. Our loved ones can't save us. They, they all fall short. But Jesus saves those who are broken in spirit, those who come to him with eagerness, joyfulness. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man, the one who, according to John 1, created all that there is. The one who formed the mountains, who formed the oceans. The mightiest of mighty has come to seek out and to save the lost. I took a few teenagers on a, on a quick retreat a few, uh, last week. Uh, because they were off of school, and uh, we stayed at this this uh, friend's house near Lake Geneva, and uh, these are teenagers, 16, 17 years old, and uh, they turn off all the lights in the house and they start playing hide and seek, and we've we've all done that when we were younger. Um, you you go around and you try to find somebody uh, who was hidden in a hamper, who was hidden in a closet, who was hidden under a cabinet. And you're searching frantically to, to find this person. But you probably played hide and seek where you found a real good spot. And five minutes go by and 10 minutes go by. And all of a sudden you don't hear anybody yelling out your name no more. Because they gave up. And you're mad because, because you had such a good hiding spot and they just gave up, right? Jesus doesn't give up. Jesus pursues, chases after us. He chases after the outcasts of society. He chases after the lonely in heart. He chases after those who are in need of him. The Son of Man came to seek 
and save that which was lost. Brothers, sisters, my guess is that there might be some in this room who are lost. Some in this room who have been trusting and coming to the church on Sunday, learning some scriptures, and being a faithful spouse, being a good parent, being a relatively moral person. But that is not gospel truth. The gospel truth is that Jesus has come to save the lost. And until we recognize that there's nothing that I can do, there is no salvation coming to our house. And Jesus invites us to call out to him in desperation, in utter weakness, and to respond to his invitation. But then there are probably the majority in this room who have trusted in this message, whose salvation has come to your house. You have invited Jesus in. And you understand your identity in Jesus. You even understand your belonging to a body. But maybe you lack in understanding your purpose. What Jesus does, he invites us. He invites Zacchaeus to participate in the work of this world. We live in a world that is broken because of the effects of sin. It hasn't just affected our eternal destination, but it's affected family relationships. It has affected educational systems. It has affected housing disparities. It has affected every part of society. And Jesus is all about restoring the brokenness of this world. And he invites us into that mission. Whether you're here in Chicago for a couple years or, or decades, the rest of your life, God is inviting you into a mission. He is inviting you into fulfilling a purpose. And I can't speak what that is for you. For some, that's inviting people into your home that you would never invite in. For some, that's inviting a college student who's away from family to, to have a, a warm meal and to have a place that they could call home away from home. To some of us, it's as this morning as I stop in Dunkin' Donuts to get a coffee, there's a man standing by the door who asked me to buy a cup of coffee. And it's not doing what I would naturally think to do, is to say, no, I can't. To think that, man, I'm in a rush. To think that I have other areas that I give my money to. To think, man, what's he going to do with this? <laughs> but to have a conversation with him. To ask him his name. And to hear his story of how he recently came out of prison and can't find a job, and to write down a number for him to call, 
to get in a program to help him. Or maybe you know construction, and maybe it's, it's helping a family on the west or south side fix up a home. Maybe it's to give half of your wealth or 10% of your wealth or 20% of your wealth or whatever number God gives you to employ teenagers to work over the summer, to give them work experience. Again, I don't, I don't know what God is calling you to do, but what I can say with certainty is that God has invited you into a mission. He has invited you into a purpose. And I trust that you would find that purpose as Zacchaeus found it. As Jesus came to his house, he gave him a new identity, he gave him a belonging, and he gave him a purpose to participate in. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.